Welcome to San Diego Sessions. We're here in the studio with pianist and composer Tobin Chodos. Listening to San Diego Sessions, San Diego's jazz podcast, featuring local artists, new releases, and more. Here are your hosts, Ian Tordella and Ed Kornhauser. Welcome to San Diego Sessions. We're in studio today with pianist and composer Tobin Chodos. I'm your host, Ian Tordella, and I'm here in studio with my co-host and international man of mystery, Mr. Ed Kornhauser. I don't think I'm that international, but I'll go with it. I said intranational, oh. like you're just within the nation. Oh, no, fair play. Okay, you know? national, national I'm quite good on. Yeah. Intranational. Yes. <laughs> All right. I have our usual uh, top of the show segment. I know you've been waiting for this all week. I have. This is a segment we call This Versus That. These are two musicians. They are similar, but not the same. And you can choose only one. Which one of these things is not like the other? Okay, first up, pianist, educator, and uh, spokesman for jazz, Dr. Billy Taylor, or Los Angeles resident, pianist, and composer, Billy Childs. Oh, wow. Huh. I think, uh, I mean, Billy Childs did a lot for education, and uh, he was on TV. Billy Taylor, you mean? Oh, sorry. Excuse me. (laughs) Billy Childs also did a lot for education. Did he? Oh, yeah. He's he's taught uh, USC, I think. Ah. Well, okay. Well, I guess they're they're both very important on the educational (laughs) front. Uh, I I was thinking of the right guy. I just said the wrong name. Just Um, keep going. Okay. That's a tough one. I know Billy Taylor has done a lot for education, especially back in the day. He was on TV a bunch, sort of putting jazz into the into the ears of America. <laughs> that sounded funny. But um, I really, really love Billy Child's um, arranging and all the projects he's done with different people. Um, I think I have one album of his that I've listened to a bunch of. It's all Diane Schur stuff. And she's doing a bunch of Sarah Vaughan tunes. But Billy Child's just totally reimagined all of the tunes and uh, it's one of my favorite uh, favorite reimagining kind of records so i think i'm going to go with uh billy childs although i did get to see billy taylor once he was really cool all right billy childs yeah i got to i got to audition for billy taylor once uh because he he lived in washington dc but i remember all I, I was a kid and all i remember is he, when we were all done he said jazz is not something you can pull out of the air or something Mm. you can't just pull it out of the air like magic i think he was trying to tell us to practice Um. (laughs) anyhow uh next up session bass player who has worked with stanley turrentine and and dozens hundreds of others bob crenshaw or session piano player most known for composing and recording the theme from taxi 
Bob James. Oh boy. <laughs> I don't. Always... I don't know how I come up with these. I'm just running out of ideas at this point. Bob James. Um, like I know he's kind of regarded as he was a member of that like '80s jazz smooth. Or sorry, '80s like smooth jazz group Foreplay, and he's sort of known as like a big, you know, kind of quite, a little bit more smooth jazzy these days. But like back in the day, he's a great piano player. I know he toured. Again, Sarah Vaughn. He used to tour with Sarah Vaughn. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. There's yeah. one... I saw a YouTube video of him playing with her. Um, it's the 60s. He's super young. He's, you know... He's got the black suit with the big black rim glasses. Looks like everybody. Uh, but he's playing great. Um, but in terms of who's given me more like musical satisfaction, I'm going to go with Bob Crenshaw. All right. Okay, now we're, now we're really going off the rails here for yeah. the last one. Railway. Um, these are both New New York residents and uh, more modern jazz guys. Bassist, uh, Israeli bassist, Avishai Cohen, known for his work with the Avishai Cohen Trio, or Israeli trumpeter, Avishai Cohen. Wow, that's 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 very clever of you. That's, <laughs> um, hmm. I'm gonna go with Avishai Cohen. All right, that's it. <laughs> Uh, for the right, I'm I'm going to go with a trumpet player, Avishai Cohen. I love his composition. Ah, the trumpet talk. player. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if there's another jazz musician, Avishai. There's it probably be. is. It's a common name, isn't it? <laughs> Extremely, I think. Yeah. And, and Cohen's very common. There might even be another Avishai Cohen jazz musician. Yeah. There, there was. A, in fact, actually, I I remember, um, I saw a not Cohen play sure. with uh, with pianist. Fred Hirsch, uh, not long ago, and uh, I remember saying to Matt Smith, who was my friend Matt Smith, drummer Matt Smith, who was there with me, he's like, "I wonder if she's related to Avishai." I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. Cohen is so common. It's like it's like Smith, jokingly because his name is Smith." And yeah, they're brother and sister. I was completely wrong. They are. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Actually, I was. <laughs> That's I, funny. I know. I. Here's a note to maybe Google this, <laughs> just to make sure I'm right. But I think I'm, I'm almost certain I'm right. Okay, again, we're in studio with Tobin Chodos, pianist and composer. Good morning. Morning. What's up? So we're going to start with a track from your record, Salmon Up, and this is the title track, Salmon Up. Can you give us a quick intro on this one? Uh, Sure, yeah. This is a recording I made, I think, 2012. should probably Google that one, too, before it goes into the podcast. I'm pretty sure that's right. On On my paper, it says 2011. Oh, 2011, okay. So, uh, yeah, it was when I was living in New York. Um, it was a trio that I was playing a lot with in those days. Uh, Craig Weinrib on drums and um, Dylan Shamat playing bass. And, uh, yeah, it's sort of a... I guess it was sort of my goodbye present to myself. Uh, right before I left New York, I decided to finally put together an album with these guys. And I really wrote this piece um, trying to write to the strengths and idiosyncrasies of that trio that I had played with so much. All right, here we go. Salmon up.
back at San Diego Sessions here at Dirty Boulevard Recording Company, and that was Salmon Up from our guest Tobin Chodos off of the record Salmon Up. Right on. That sounded that was really cool. So oh, thank you, you. So you've been playing with those guys for quite a while. Uh yeah. Yeah, they were both close friends of mine uh from the New York uh scene. Uh Craig actually was a colleague from my undergraduate uh institution, which weirdly enough was not a it wasn't a music school, but uh there were yeah, a handful of really dedicated musicians and Craig was one of them. Huh. So you studied something else together. What did you uh what did you study? Well, uh, we both studied something else, but we not the same something ah, else. Okay. Um, but I knew him. we were at the we were at the same institution. I think he he studied literature, if I remember correctly, and I studied also literature. I studied uh, classical literature, ancient huh. Greek and Latin. Um, where did you uh, Where did you record at? That was recorded at uh, Tedesco Studios in Fort Lee, in New Jersey. It's a uh, yeah, really fantastic little studio. Uh, a lot of jazz musicians use it. Um, kind of like just really high quality equipment and uh, spare, competent production. Um, so very easy to get like a really quality kind of like appropriately live sound for a piano trio. Yeah, we were we were talking on the break. The piano itself just sounds amazing. Yeah, he has wonderful. He has a wonderful piano, wonderful board, and some wonderful microphones. Yeah, with that with that track, I, I mean, I really noticed the group dynamic, and a lot of your uh, hits are worked out as a trio. Or is that more through composed, or is some of that going on organically, or um, what's your approach to the composition? Um, I think it's pretty through composed, actually. Um, I think you know, even even when I identified primarily as a, like a jazz performer, which I definitely did at that time in two thousand eleven. I think I still sort of my orientation was composerly in a certain sense. So I, I tend to write things down and, and kind of micromanage. Um, so, I mean, it's basically structured like a jazz piece in that it has like a blowing section and it has core changes basically, but it's also got like a really spelled out, um, you know, what we call like through composed left and right hand part and hits and like an uh, notated bits for the bass so yeah yeah a lot of it's written down even as you get into it there's a lot of little sections and figures that really glue it together and it's not just a totally open blowing section um and that really uh, caught my ear when we were listening mm-hmm. yeah it definitely speaks to your strengths as a composer as well because you don't just compose pieces for jazz ensemble but as we'll hear later you you've written for orchestra you've written for mixed ensemble uh or chamber ensemble work um that really pulls from uh influences far beyond jazz as well yeah yeah i think uh in a lot of ways i my sort of career uh since leaving new york has been sort of yeah my process of deciding in what measure i'm trying to be a jazz musician or a composer or in what way i'm trying to combine those two threads of my musical life and you moved out from new york to did you move out to New York? Or move out from New York to study at UCSD? Actually, I spent my first two years in Santa Cruz. Um, I did a master's degree in composition uh, in their music department uh, before coming down here for my PhD. Nice, getting a getting a whole mix of Southern California life. Oh yeah, no, I'm super <laughs> Californian these days. Except I don't surf, uh, which is my great regret. I've been here now uh, almost six, seven years almost. Uh, and I still don't surf, which is... It's not too late. I've been here 30 years, and I've barely surfed. Uh, But you you say barely, but you have surfed. Twice. (laughs) Badly. 
It didn't end well. If I could surf twice badly, I think I could die happy. I think I st- halfway stood up once for about six seconds, and then I ate it. That sounds so fun. Yeah. We could yeah. start another a whole other podcast about uh, surfing jazz musicians. Right, get Bob Magnuson and Peter Sprague. Peter Sprague, Magnuson, right, Louis Valenzuela. Right this is the right city for a surfing jazz podcast. Yeah. We probably couldn't do that anywhere else on planet Earth. Definitely not true in New York. Maybe L.A. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you wrote all the compositions for this record. I'm... I did, yeah. Nice. Yep. Yeah, it really showcases your strengths as a writer. Oh, well, thank you. Um, and I have to ask, what was the significance of the title? Because I think I had an, I took an entirely different interpretation of it. Yeah, I, I, as I recall, and it was a while ago, but I think Salmon Up be- had become a nickname for that um, sort of tessellated triangular uh, print that is the cover art, which is the, it's it's a print by uh, my girlfriend at the time, Phyllis Ma, um, who's an artist from New York. And uh, I think that was sort of the nickname for that piece, uh, which then just sort of evolved into the name for the title track and, and for the album itself. Very cool. It's not a, it's not the name of a, of a cocktail. I'll have a salmon up, please. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. That's, uh, that sounds delicious. Um, but uh, no, it's not that. Oh. Um, All right, so uh, we were talking before we started, uh, you have some other new material out, and you've worked with uh, another friend of the podcast and another composer from UCSD, uh, bassist Kyle Modal. And I think we're going we're gonna to get into some tracks from that, but Kyle's new record is called Pan Jam Drums, and it just came out in 2017. Um, and both you and Kyle have some compositions happening on this one, correct? Yeah, we do, as well as uh, some free improvisations that are sort of, I guess you could say, collectively authored. Um, yeah, I think we have a few of those on that record, um, which is, yeah, sort of the vibe of that one, uh, much more of a free jazz album, which is sort of uh, most of the improvisation that takes place in UCSD's Department of Music is sort of of a free jazz variety, and it was sort of a big cultural adjustment for me who grew up like playing straight ahead. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, one that's been super valuable for me. It was really cool to listen to both these records yesterday because it's, it's you on both, and it's the same instrumentation. It's, it's a piano trio, and um, the music sounds like it's from a different planet. You know, each record is very, very different, and it really showcases like... I mean, you came out to California and you really dug into this free jazz stuff, um, and uh, it sounds like you've been playing it all your life. So tell us a little bit about the group and how this trio came together for uh, Kyle's record. Um, Yeah, well, we're all uh, in the PhD program in music at UCSD, so that's how we met. Um, I had heard Shell's recordings uh, before Uh, coming to UCSD, actually. Right, Shell Nordison. Yeah. He's the drummer on this record. I mean, he's had a long career in a lot of different uh, kinds of groups, not just free jazz groups, but he's played in like metal groups and uh, he's played straight ahead. He's played pop. He's played contemporary, like he's played vibes and uh, other percussion in a lot of like noted contemporary ensembles here in the U.S. and in Europe. So I had, I had heard his music uh, quite a bit. Um and so, yeah, I knew eventually I would probably be recording with Shell. And Kyle uh, was in my cohort uh, my year at UCSD. And, uh, yeah, we just became friends. And we've been playing a lot throughout uh, my time at UCSD. So it just made sense to put this trio together. Have you and Kyle's trio played out often around San Diego or, or elsewhere? Uh, yeah, we have. I mean, 
so this this style of music, like most of the music that uh, happens at UCSD, is not the kind of stuff that you know uh, restaurants are going to want you to be playing while diners are trying to enjoy their appetizers. <laughs> oh, or come even, on! <laughs> even like uh, jazz venues, you know, are, are it's an interesting. I mean, I don't have to explain to you guys, you know, the cultural splits that uh, divide the jazz community between the traditionalists and the uh, experimentalists. You might say, um, yeah which is an interesting subject on its own. But uh, yeah, so playing out, the playing out we do tends to be more like, um, you know, new music settings or like concert music settings that have like an interest in improvised music. So that's like festivals or um, concerts, like new music concerts that happen um, at universities or even like academic conferences. These kinds of venues are tend to be more receptive to the brittle um strident modernisms of the free jazz world than like the nice uh sort of uh sweet and tuneful music of jazz music right uh, well sometimes with straight ahead although guys even within straight ahead there's a lot of pushing of, of the boundaries you can ride that line between entertainment and art mm-hmm. like you can play at a restaurant or mm-hmm. you can dig into some blues and stuff but um with avant-garde music it's it's a little different yeah, so, and I mean, I I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't uh, draw you need the like line. a listening environment is what I'm saying. Yeah. People have to. It's great when people are focusing mm-hmm. on the music. You can't play it as uh, in the background. Not that I want to do that with with my straight ahead jazz right, either. Right, but, uh, right. Yeah, it is nice to play at a bar though. It's a different atmosphere. Oh, totally. Yeah, so. I didn't mean to. Uh, I didn't mean to hierarchize them. I yeah, mean, yeah, I don't think there's anything higher or more profound about playing music that doesn't have tonal centers at all um it's just a different it's a different effect it's a different timbre it's a different you know yeah voice yeah i mean what's interesting is yeah some of the traditional stuff even if you try to play dixieland or something it's to me sometimes that's even more challenging because i don't have as many options or 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 something about trying to make it perfect within that style um but a funny thing about improvised music that I, I never thought about, I read it in um, some jazz history book I was investigating, but avant-garde jazz, oddly enough, has been one of the most enduring forms of jazz since its inception, mm-hmm. It's whereas other forms of jazz have, have gone away or, or been revitalized, whereas avant-garde and experimental jazz has, has been a constant since mm-hmm. maybe the 50s mm-hmm. up until now. That's interesting, yeah. If you're playing straight-ahead jazz today, it sounds like you're playing something from the past, whereas if you play the same sort of like avant-garde style in the same way people played it in 1955, it doesn't quite sound that way in a funny way, um, which is an interesting difference. Is that the point you were making? Or? Uh, that's No, but that's kind of interesting too, because yeah, they both are old forms of jazz, like like playing on Green Dolphin Street is mm. that's a song from the movie in the late fifties or early sixties, mm-hmm. or if you're playing something from Ornette, which is from the same time period, somehow one seems antiquated right. and the other doesn't. Yeah, yeah. it's very very odd. Amazing but, uh, how right he was when he titled the record "The Shape of Jazz to Come." <laughs> right on. <laughs> um, well, tell us a little bit about this track to get back to back to this record. It's called Salsa Herbs, and and as I mentioned, you recorded this as as a pianist in in a group led by bassist Kyle Modal. Yeah, well, it's interesting. So we've been talking about this album uh, as a sort of like a free jazz record, uh, which it is. Um, but actually, this is probably the most traditional 
piano trio track on the whole album. Um, I mean, it'll sound really different from Salmon Up, of course, but uh, it's written more or less like a traditional jazz uh, jazz piano trio piece, I think. Well, it makes it stand out against against the, the rest of the album as a mm-hmm. backdrop, and yeah, I'd be curious to hear it. All right, here we go with Salsa Herbs.
You're listening to San Diego Sessions. Subscribe on iTunes or listen online at DirtyBoulevardRecording.com. Here's your jazz forecast for the week of Monday, December 25th through Sunday the 31st. Tuesday, December 26th, the Gabriel Sunday Trio plays at 7 Grand from 9 p.m. to midnight, featuring Ed Kornhauser on organ and Charles Weller on drums. Wednesday, December 27th, trumpeter Gilbert Castellanos hosts his regular Wednesday night jam session at Panama 66. Hear the best jazz San Diego has to offer right in the middle of Balboa Park. Music from 8.30 to 11.30 p.m. Come early to see the Young Lions play from 6 to 8 p.m., featuring up-and-coming musicians from around the city. Singer Whitney Shea is joined by our very own Ed Kornhauser at the Renaissance Hotel from 6 to 9 p.m. Thursday, December 28th. Singer Lorraine Castellanos continues her second and fourth Thursday residency at Panama 66 from 6 to 8 p.m. Right across town, there's a new jam session at The Ken Club, hosted by saxophonists Robert Dove and Ian Buss. Music from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. $5 cover or musicians sitting in get in for free. You must be 21 and older. Friday, December 29th. The Rob Thorson Quartet featuring Larry De La Cruz on alto saxophone play at Panama 66 from 7 to 9 p.m. Also on Friday, Gilbert Castellanos presents Jazz at the Westgate, an intimate series in the Plaza Bar at the beautiful Westgate Hotel. Music from 8 to 11, all ages welcome. Right across the street, Whitney Shea brings her quartet to the U.S. Grant from 8 p.m. to midnight. Saturday, December 30th, Irving Flores plays solo piano at Maritalia Ristorante on Coronado from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. Vocalist Allison Adams-Tucker is at the Westgate Hotel with guitarist Bob Boss and Duncan Moore on drums from 8 to 11 p.m. Over at Dizzy's, you can hear saxophonist Brian Levy, Mikan Zlakovich on piano, Will Lyle on bass, and Richard Sellers on drums. They start at 8 p.m., cover is $20 or $15 for students. All ages welcome. Sunday, December 31st. Starting at noon, pianist Edward Gabrielian and vocalist Kathleen Dugas play at Maritalia Ristorante on Coronado. Pianist Irving Flores takes over at 5.30, and Kathleen and pianist Alex Hamilton come back at 8.30 p.m. until midnight for a New Year's Eve cocktail party. The Steph Johnson Trio play at Rancho Valencia in Rancho Santa Fe starting at 6 p.m. The Lorraine Castellanos Quintet plays at the Westgate Hotel starting at 7 p.m. to late. More info and tickets at westgatehotel.com. Over at the Handlery Hotel, you can hear singer Sasha Boutros, pianist Mikan Zlakovich, and bassist Will Lyle starting at 7 p.m. Also on the 31st, vocalist Allison Adams-Tucker and the Gatsby Gang play over at the Hornblower at 8 p.m. Whitney Shea brings her quartet to the Marine Room in La Jolla to play for dinner and dancing from 8.30 p.m. to 12.30 a.m. More info online at marineroom.com. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and Happy New Year, everyone. You're listening to San Diego Sessions, San Diego's jazz podcast. 
And we're back on San Diego Sessions. You heard Salsa Herbs from the Kyle Modal Trio featuring our guests Tobin Chodos on piano and Shell Nordison on drums. And after that, with the Jazz Calendar, you heard another track from Salmon Up, and that was called Getting Spanked. And now it's time for our weekly segment. I know you've been dying in anticipation to hear the San Diego 7 with our very own Ed Kornhauser. I have literally been ill. San Diego 7, these are seven... <laughs> You've literally literally been ill. I've literally been ill. You've been sick with a, anticipation. Know, anticipation. Yes, and... exactly. Um, this is the San Diego 7. These are seven rapid-fire questions, some music-related, others quite less so, that we'd like you to answer from the top of your head and the bottom of your heart. Sounds good. I'm, um, I'm ill with anticipation myself. All right. We're all on the edge of our seats. Uh, number one... What's the first thing you thought of when you woke up this morning? Whether and where I was going to get breakfast before this podcast taping. Okay. Sidebar, where did you go? I went to Phil's Coffee. I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit that. I'm not sure how I feel about Phil's Coffee, but that's where I went. Well, you got your Phil. Ooh. Oh, man. Yeah. I think Ed got into jazz just for the puns. <laughs> I did. If you want to up your game on the puns, you have to become a dad, and then you get dad jokes and puns. Oh, wow. Oof. You can work on that. All right, number two. Number two. If you could see a performer from any point in history who has since passed, who would it be? Mm, performer. Mm. I mean, it could also be somebody who composes as well, but somebody who performs in some sense. You want someone from the jazz tradition or nope. any tradition any, whatsoever? Anybody. It could be Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, mm. actually, we can go outside the box. <laughs> um. I would like to see one of the 19th century piano virtuosos, like Clara Schumann. Mm. I think it would just be really interesting to see like the birth of contemporary piano virtuoso culture in its own, in its native context. So like Clara Schumann or a Franz Liszt or I was, something. I was going to say like a Franz Liszt, yeah. yeah, for sure. So he was supposed to just be an, just a monster musician himself. He, Rachmaninoff, too. Of course, we've. I think there's there's archive recordings of him. There are yeah. a few, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so he's a yeah. he's a later generation of piano yeah. virtuoso. But I'd so, be more interested in like yeah, hardcore early virtuoso wunderkind sort of European geniuses. Very cool. Yeah. Number three, I believe you lived in China for a time. I uh, did. Did you uh, record and play uh, any music over there? Uh, yes, I recorded and played a lot of music. I was there for recording and playing music. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, I went to China the first time in 2006 in a sort of a funny gold rush of jazz music in Shanghai with the Theo Croker Quintet. And we had, uh, we played six nights a week at the Shanghai House of Jazz and Blues for six months. And uh, I've since been back to do similar gigs and to record uh, one really ambitious pop record for a Chinese producer named Peng Fei. Um, so yeah, every time I've been to Shanghai or to China, it's been music-related in one way or another. Hmm. Music Very performance or musicology research, which I've also done there. Very cool. I'd be curious to hear that pop record. Uh, maybe we should have played that today. That is a <laughs> yeah. curious record. Uh, a really wonderful, well-put-together record, actually. Um, tons of work, huge undertaking, um, full orchestra, and a handful of, like, Chinese pop stars. Wow. Wow. Intense. 
All right, we're going to have to get you back on the podcast to hear some of that. Yeah. <laughs> Number four, what was the first piece of yours that you got to see and hear performed? As a composer? Mm-hmm. Um, that would probably be the very first one, I think, was called um, A Simple Matter of Arithmetic, I believe was the title. And it was a... It was a piece that was, an, I think it was just like a solo piano piece that try. It was like a in a blues format, sort of, but it was like everything was specified with this silly little like mini numerical arithmetic, arithmetics like algorithm sort of thing, like a very basic formula for determining pitches, but then like stuck into like a blues template, sort of. Interesting. Huh. Did you write that recently? Was that was that a long time ago? No, that would have been uh that would have been in two thousand twelve. Oh. Very cool. Uh number five. Uh do you think robots will one day rise up and slay and or enslave mankind? Um haven't they already? <laughs> yeah. I I don't know what you're talking well. about. He says as he reaches for his phone. Uh, <laughs> that was the best answer. Yeah. yeah. Let um, me just, uh, I'm going to put that on my Instagram feed. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I was looking online just out of curiosity after I wrote that question. Skynet came on in 1997, according to Terminator. So mm, we're actually uh, ahead of the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Future after Skynet is not nearly as bleak as it looks in Terminator. This is true. That's uh, James Cameron took some license there, I think. They never get that right in movies set in the future. They're just, it's, it's like, it's always a little further off. Mm-hmm. Um, number eight. Right. We're going we're gonna to do number six. Oh, number six. <laughs> uh, where's the best place to get Chinese food in San Diego? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, well, first of all, I don't know. I don't know the best. I know there are a lot of options, so I wouldn't, you know... I wouldn't. I don't feel qualified to say the best, but it all depends what style of Chinese food you like. Mm. Um, there's a great northern Chinese restaurant that Kevin Higuchi showed me called Shanxi Magic Kitchen, uh, which I like a lot. It's got nice hand-pulled noodles and sort of northern vinegary flavors. Then there are a lot of good Sichuan options. Uh, most famous one, of course, is Spicy City, which mm. everybody knows and loves. Uh, there's a nice dry pot called Sizzling Dry Pot King. Nice. Yeah. I'm writing all these down now because I actually have I've heard of Spicy City, but mm. not the others. But I've never been to either of them, any mm. of them. Yeah, they're good. Mm. They taste like you know. They taste like the old country. Uh, speaking of tasting like the old country, here's number seven. This is our old standby. Bacon? Is that a yes or no question? It's a whatever you like <laughs> question. Um, whatever, guess, whatever it means to you. Whatever, however bacon speaks to you. Uh-huh. Uh, my answer to the question bacon would probably be maple syrup. Oh, that sounds good. That sounds really good, actually. That's my, that's right. my answer, yeah. <laughs> I worked in... Uh, doing telephone surveys one summer when I was a teenager, and you were never allowed to clarify questions. If somebody asked uh-huh. you what the question meant, right. you had to say, oh, well, what does it mean to you? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't compromise <laughs> you to, the integrity of the experiment. Exactly, yeah. 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 Very scientific. So as we talked about earlier, in addition to composing um, pieces in more of a jazz vein, you're also a composer of 
like I said, uh, orchestral works, chamber works, solo pieces as well. Um, I believe you mentioned that you were working uh, with a theatrical company on a new staging of the novel um, a spy who, the spy who came in from the cold that's so right is this a so it's a staging with music is it an opera is it a musical is it a straight play with just music it's an opera wow we are we are conceiving of it as an opera it's not a traditional opera um, at least not in every respect but it is it is an opera uh, it's uh it's an op- so our goal with that project is um, so we're trying to everybody's wondering like what is opera going to be in the future in the 21st century what what does 21st century opera look like and I think the most successful operas um, are the ones that sort of create spaces for um, meditation on important um, contemporary issues. I think that's a good thing for opera to attempt to do in the 21st century. So with A Spy Who Came In From the Cold, our goal is to take a classic 1963 Cold War story, which is about uh, primarily two things, um, border walls and Russian xenophobia, and take those two things, which have been weirdly reanimated in American political discourse, and stage them in the borderlands here in San Diego, and also stage it in Tijuana, um, as a way of creating uh, opera as a place for um, critical thought about border politics. So our goal is to stage it here in Tijuana, both productions be in uh, both Spanish and English. Very cool. You're still setting it in... East Germany, or are you updating the setting? No, it's still the story of the spy who came in from the cold. So it's uh, it's a Cold War story set on both sides of the Iron Curtain. And uh, if I'm understanding correctly, it's several composers. It's a collaborative effort. That's right. Yeah, we have uh, four composers, um, two from the States, one from Mexico, and one from Israel, uh, whose, whose music has long been about sort of the border politics in her region. And of course, in Israel, uh, border walls and border politics are perhaps an even more volatile and sensitive issue than they are here. They're literally a part of day-to-day life. Yeah. So are the four of you also working on the libretto together, or is, is somebody separately helping with the libretto? Actually, just two of us are doing the libretto. So my collaborator Josh Charney and I are working on the libretto, and then um, the four composers each is responsible for certain portions of the score. Wow, okay. That sounds like a huge undertaking. Um, I, I mean, I guess it makes it easier in a way to have multiple composers just to get the sheer amount of music out there. But in another way, you have to fit all the pieces together be- between your different styles and make it into one piece of work. Yes, I think in some ways it'll be easier, and in some ways it's going to be a lot of work to try to make all the... And they're very different composers. You know, Mayan from Israel is a very, very different composer from, say, me. Um, So, yeah, making them work together will be a challenge, but uh, with enough grant money, it's a challenge we can hopefully uh, bring about. (laughs) With grant money, we can do anything. That's right, yeah. Yeah. When are you hoping to get it uh, staged? Or finished, uh, rather. Well, yeah, so first finished, um, right. our goal for staging it is, um, I think we'll get portions of it staged probably next, uh, about a year from now, will probably be our first sort of like uh, trial run, we'll do like two or three scenes, and then maybe within a year or so after that, we can shoot for having a full staging. That's terrific. Well, um, 
we'll definitely keep uh, keep our eyes open for that. That sounds really exciting and really a great way to bring opera from you know a very some people think antiquated form of sure, art yeah. into the modern era. You're you've also worked a lot, uh, collaborated a lot with the La, La Jolla Symphony, local. Um, symphony here and i believe you just had a work of yours debuted by them just a few months ago yeah i uh they commissioned um for a concert featuring the uh professor emeritus from ucsd's music department cecil lytle they commissioned um three works for piano and orchestra from me two arrangements of duke ellington pieces and one original concertino for two pianos and orchestra and that was for myself and for cecil as soloists and those are um the two pianos are improvising if i'm not mistaken or is, or is it partially written out or is it a bit of both or it's a bit of both yeah which is uh, sort of that's very much in cecil's um sort of uh, that's sort of how Cecil plays. He's a he's both he's a classically trained uh, sort of nineteenth century piano virtuoso, but he's also got a deep background in jazz music, and he was really looking for a piece that would really showcase both talents. Did the uh, did the orchestra respond well to the flexibility of having uh, improvising musicians? You know. Uh, that orchestra has been asked to do a lot of freaky things in its lifetime. <laughs> That's and, for sure, yeah. Uh, and I thought, you know, I thought playing uh, with improvised uh, soloists would not um, phase them. Um, and it didn't, uh, but it, it was... it. It took some work to get them to buy into it, I think. Um, but by the second or third rehearsal, after they sort of got a sense of the architecture of the piece, yeah, I think they were fine with it. Great. And is there a spot uh, where our listeners can hear that piece online? Yeah, on my website. Yeah, tobinchotis.com. All right. So and speaking of classical composition, um, the last piece we're going to hear is a, a beautiful piece you composed for violin and piano called Sure S-H-I-R-R. But tell us how this this composition came together um so this was commissioned by the violinist uh kier gogwilt uh who's a just really amazing virtuoso um also in the phd program at ucsd and uh yeah he asked me for a piece for a recital he was giving and um i wrote it for him and another really close friend of mine todd mullenberg who's the who's the pianist uh and um it's a it's kind of a fun little like uh, sort of set piece. Sure is a technique in uh, in in garment making that is a sort of uh, specific way of gathering and fastening fabric. So it's got these uh, you join two pieces of fabric, say, and you kind of like sew them up, and you get these little ridges and troughs um, in the fabric. So that's sort of the sort of shape the piece too it's got ridges and and troughs and uh kind of little weird moments of unison out of nowhere and it's also got a traditional chord progression in it um that they sort of like work through throughout the piece and as we mentioned you can hear a lot more of this music we've been talking about on on tobin's website tobinchotos.com but as far as what you're up to lately you have a, a bunch of upcoming performances and I know you're working with uh, Cecil Lytle next month in January, correct? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be playing on Cecil Lytle's annual uh, piano summit, he calls it. That's uh, going to be me and Cecil and Josh White and uh, Kei Akagi from uh, oh, wow. UC okay. 
Riverside, he said you see you see Irvine. Irvine, excuse yeah. me. Yeah. So he's coming down. So it's gonna be the four of us. Each of us is gonna play, I think, like a twenty or thirty minute solo set. Mm. Um I'm gonna do some some of Cecil's two piano music with Cecil. And then I think he wants us all to play at the same time. But I don't know how he's gonna get four pianos on stage. So maybe four <laughs> maybe two four hand two four hand pianos. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and then what else do you have coming up in the spring? Uh so I've got a I've got a solo recital that I'm giving. Um I think what April end of April April twenty eighth on my sheet here it says April twenty seventh yeah. thank you yeah uh, so that I'm gonna do a bunch of my own music and so I'm gonna do some repertoire actually some uh, some concert music of a, a dear friend of mine uh, John Appleton the composer um, and uh, yeah maybe some of the trio music we'll see. Um, so then later in the year, I've got another arrangement that I'm writing for the La Jolla Symphony, which will feature Peter Evans as a soloist. And that's going to be an arrangement of the Ornette Coleman classic, Lonely Woman. Trumpet player mm-hmm. Peter Evans, yes? Trumpeter yeah. Peter Evans, yeah. The really New, uh, York, New York based, yeah. New York based, yeah. super virtuoso, innovative solo trumpeter. He'll be playing my arrangement of uh, Lonely Woman. And uh, I've got one more large piece that was commissioned by SF Contemporary Players, which is a wind quintet uh, sort of companion piece to a large work by Elliot Carter. Very, very cool. Wow, you've got a busy year ahead of you. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of work, I think, yeah. (laughs) All right, well, thanks again for coming in and chatting with us and sharing your music with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. This has been really fun. And we're going to take it out again with Sure by Tobin Chodos. Thank you. 
You've been listening to the San Diego Sessions podcast brought to you by Dirty Boulevard Recording Company. Please subscribe now on iTunes or listen online at DirtyBoulevardRecording.com. Theme music composed by Ed Kornhauser. Performed by Ed with Grant Fisher guitar, Harley Magzino bass, Ian Tordella saxophone, and Charles Weller on drums. If you'd like to be a guest on San Diego Sessions, please contact us. All musical selections are used by permission of the artists. San Diego Sessions is engineered and produced by Ian Tordella at Dirty Boulevard Recording Company.